Dargy, bad Dargy, Dargy, <laughs> Dargy Allen, Darby kicks again. Darby kicks. Darby. <laughs> Darby. Dargy Allen. Don't do that. Oh no, it's Doggy. Doggy's coming. Watch out. Watch out for his coffin drops. <laughs> No. <laughs> Hang on. Pause. <laughs> Pause for smoke break. <laughs> That's the cold open. <laughs> Hello, people of Earth, and welcome to Wanna Watch AEW, where we ask, hey, you wanna take a chair shot to the head? Oh, good morning, that'll good wake morning. me the fuck up. Hey, do you wanna watch AEW? Fuck yeah. I am, as ever, your host, Ramin, and across from me is... Callie. How are you doing, my dear? Oh my god, I'm so awesome. Yeah, are you excited? I'm, I'm not taking a chair shot to the head. That's true, so. yes, no. That's only for God, apparently. <laughs> All right, so you ready to talk about our second episode of Dynamite? Yes, here we are. Yeah. But before we get into it... Yes, let's do some uh, some BTE recap. Previously on Being the Elite. Ooh. This week on BTE, there was some, uh, some funny segments, but uh, relevant to the episode, it starts with a comedy segment with Rick Knox using some... Uh, I don't know what those, those stretch bands are. You know, the oh, ones yeah, you resistance, used to, bands. resistance bands, which is a, a note to uh, Kazarian's gimmick at the time on mm. BTE, which we'll get to in a second. But uh, Kenny in, interrupts Rick Knox and freaks out at him for his refing last week, asking him how he could have let Moxley interfere with a match without a DQ. Quote, wins and losses count in this federation, which well, is amazing because it's not a federation. And we'll get into <laughs> yeah, <I know. clears throat> the, the origin of the rule of right. cool. Yes, yes. Let's not. All right, fine. We'll do that later. Um, <laughs> the scene ends with Knox being dejected, saying, quote, nobody wants a main event to end in a DQ frowny face. I mean, it's true, though. Yeah, but, uh, you know, that's a non-solution. The man's say. not wrong. <laughs> Um, speaking of Kaz, there was a scene where Kaz does his do ya gimmick, mm -hmm. which at the time involved him using resistance bands. <laughs> and then people would ask him odd questions like in this one, who's my boy? Sky, Scorpio Sky yeah. was looking for uh, wrist tape. And so he goes, does anyone have wrist tape? And then uh, CD grabs his... Uh, it's a little case, and he says, I think I have some tape. And, of course, Kaz from behind goes, and everyone... <laughs> While he's doing the resistance Yeah, bands, and so then God. everyone falls over. Oh, of course. Yeah, it's it's it was one of my favorite... I really miss Kaz for that specifically. The episode also featured multiple scenes where wrestlers are shitting on Rick Knox for his bad refing. There's one where he's just sitting in the cafeteria alone eating a hot dog on a plate. It's just dejected. It's so funny. Well, maybe you should be a better ref, right? I agree. They were, there's a scene that really foreshadowed some 2023 wrestling where the Bucks confronted MJF and they told him, you know, thank you for coming to help us. And we, you really showed us something and we really think you're, you're a good guy. We don't think you're such a bad guy. And then in 2019, we're like, is MJF getting the baby face push? 
And his response was by asking them with, if, if either of them are Cody. No? <laughs> then get lost. Peace. MJF knows where the money is. It's true. We got a somber moment at the end where the Bucks and Kenny discuss how Kenny has been feeling unfocused because of Mox and he feels like he's hindering their win-loss record. Mm. So the win-loss record keeps coming up. And it's true. It's, 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 it matters for the next you know couple of years, at least. So here we are, October 9th, 2019 at Boston University for the episode two of Dynamite. And we are in 2019 here. So because you're obviously the the wrestling genie of the duo here, (laughs) run us down uh, with what was happening in the world of wrestling. I shall grant your wish. Thank you. Um, Thank you, genie. I will run down what was going on on Raw this week. It, It was honestly, from what I could see, and make sense. It seemed like a really shitty Raw. Uh, like a, in 2019? In 2019. It seemed like a really, really shitty episode uh, of tell Raw. It, tell us. There was a match between uh, Natalia and Lacey Evans, which is already a, just a disaster story. Lacey Evans was horrific. And I like cool. Natalia when I... Sure, but Lacey Evans was wrestling with four left arms. Mm. Like, I did not like her at all. There was a, a pull-apart brawl between boxer Tyson Fury and Braun Strowman, a match which I don't think ever actually happened, but I could be wrong. Tyson Fury is a boxer by yes. trade? Yes. All right. And then I was reminded horrifically of the worst Miro slash Rusev storyline where Bobby Lashley and Lana are having an affair with Rusev. What? Yeah. Is it like, they it's like, like a hard, love triangle? No, no, no. They like hardcore made out in the middle of the ring and like... Poor Rusev oh, slash Miro. It's, it's so awful. So in this week's, we had Bobby Lashley Cringe. and Lana taunting Rusev from his bedroom. That's wrestling. That's not even like a fun cringe. No, it's Vince mm, cringe. Infidelity. I know. It's just Vince cringe. Well, whatever. Let's get into Dynamite. Yes, you know the what? better wrestling. We open the show once again with the voice of JR uh, thanking us for welcoming him into our prefecture. He runs down the card for tonight. Uh, there will be a women's tag match, a Cracker versus Cracker Jack match, oh which boy. is Darby versus Jimmy <laughs> Havoc. You know what? I said that, but ladies and gentlemen, I was turned around by Jimmy Havoc in this match. So we will talk about that later. I have very positive things to say about him. Very positive things it's to true. say. Good. Moxley versus Spears tonight. Mm-hmm. The big uh, debut. And then the tag team tourney gets kicked off with Bucks versus Private Party. And to finish the show, we'll have Hangman and Dustin Rhodes versus Jericho and Sammy. Yes, but we are starting off Dynamite with the first tag team championship tournament match. Yes, the Bucks and Private Party. We get a promo video showing off the Bucks and Private Party feud. It's very simple but effective booking. I mean, each team claims they're elite, and then they both feel like they need this win to kind of cement their positions in the company. So it's true. And and as some and I remember in 2019 not knowing what to expect from Private Party. So you know, going into this for them to have that that sort of attitude was yeah, interesting. Yeah, and I also like that this is the first match because I remember watching All Out and thinking that there was no hype from this tournament and right, in I the remember. tag match that the Dark Order won, I was not even that excited when they promoted this last week on Dynamite. So get me excited about this tag team tournament. Yeah, I agree. And this video does a really good job yes. of that. So the Bucks come out first, and I will always love the Bucks uh, money intro where the money just pops out of the sides yeah, when they do money their pose. Guns up. 
I don't love the shirts they got going on tonight uh, with the green lightning bolts. They they honestly look like two giant cans of Mountain Dew. Oh, really? I totally want one of those shirts. No, I thought it was awful. <laughs> it's funny because on BTE, there's there's like a child version of that logo that in, in kayfabe Nick made. Oh, and okay. Matt hates it. Aww. I know. It's really funny. That's so really they, wholesome. They but they're at... like, we'll put it on the shirt anyways. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, we have private party. Uh, they come from, quote, a location where you need an invitation. At a combined weight of 24 ounces of vodka cranberry. <laughs> yeah. Callie and I disagree on whether this is funny because she's wrong. It's hilarious. No, it's... I just, I don't get why you're cool with the Orange Cassidy one, but not this. Well, there's some parts of it that's hilarious. Like, they have the, I think we agreed that, like, the bouncer with the red rope. Absolutely. Love that. I want that in life. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that part was hilarious, but, like, the 24 ounces of vodka cranberry. Get out of here. <laughs> get fun. out of here. Um, I did really quickly look up Private Party, because, sure. as they said, they're the most kind of unknown um, of the tag teams, I think. It is Mark Quinn, who's the older of the two. And he debuted at House of Glory Wrestling, as you mentioned, just less than a month after he turned 18 in May of 2012. And then his partner, Isaiah Cassidy, who was only 22 years old in 2019, he made his recorded pro wrestling debut also about a month after he turned 18. So clearly he was probably training with them, turned 18, broke and signed a liability waiver. Get the fuck out there. Uh, but both of these guys did train with House of Glory out of New York, trained by the Amazing Red, or maybe just Amazing Red. Uh, I didn't know who this wrestler was, but in 2019, Will Ospreay called him an inspiration before they had a match together in August 2019 at the Super J uh, New Japan wrestling event. So, fuck yeah, Amazing Red, he's pretty iconic, you've heard of him. Yeah, I, I mean, I've heard of him through the grapevine of wrestling, I know guys like Eddie Kingston love Amazing Red. I think he was with, like, Impact TNA for... Yeah, and, like, Ring of Honor, he's yeah. trained a lot of of current AEW stars. Yeah, no, so it's pretty, pretty iconic, and yeah, these guys are uh, pretty agile on the ring, so yeah. let's get into it. Yeah, Excalibur opens by discussing how important this match is for Private Party, they beat the hybrid two uh, who are on a deserved losing streak, <laughs> but they are a very experienced team who got surprised by the effectiveness of private party. The bucks won't overlook them, but they've certainly done their homework on private party. JR says it's a one fall match with a 20 minute time limit, single elimination, I really enjoy when they break down the match parameters clinically like that. It, it does make it feel more sporty. Yes. Oh, good. It's the ref that makes injured wrestlers redo their finishing spots. Hi, Rick. <laughs> oh, our, our favorite buddy, Mr. Yeah. Knox. <laughs> Callie sympathizes with JR here about the two Chris's situation that we talked about last week. Finding it hard to tell apart the fraternal twins, the Young Bucks. Uh, yeah, I'm wearing the Kono Shame. It's hard to tell them apart, okay? Whatever. <laughs> they, are, they are actual brothers. I can tell the non-brothers, Cassidy and Quinn, apart. It's true. White people all do kind of look the same. <laughs> Shivani says it's East Coast versus West Coast. Private Party are from Brooklyn, trained in House of Glory. Isaiah Cassidy starts the match by escaping a wrist lock with what I call the Owen Maneuver. He didn't invent it, but I think of Owen whenever I see it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, tell me what this maneuver is. So it's essentially, I don't know if you caught it, but essentially uh, when, you, when a wrestler gets caught in like a wrist lock, They'll do like a little like a somersault onto their back and then oh, do the spin yes. and then the bridge up and then take okay, over wrist control. Okay, so it's a way of getting out of the wrist lock. Owen and Owen Hart and Bret Hart used to do that a lot. In their WrestleMania 10 match, they did it to each other. 
So I tend to call it the Owen maneuver. Well, Cassidy's still in the ring and he escapes a side headlock, ducks a super kick, and then avoids a second super kick by holding the ropes, and then a third by catching the foot of Nick Jackson. Yeah, really great sequence. Mm -hmm. Nick responds to this by smacking him in the face for his efforts, showing no respect. The Bucks heat things up on Cassidy, isolating him. Nick drops Marcus to the floor, and then they get a gutbuster neckbreaker combo on Cassidy. Cassidy slips out of a double suplex, tossing Matt to the outside. He ducks a clothesline from Nick, but misses a baseball slide to Matt. Matt throws him on the apron where he gives Nick an enzigiri and then moonsaults Matt to the outside. So cool. And then he finally gets the flying hot tag to Quinn, who gives multiple moonsaults and a tope con Helios to Matt and Nick. Incredible athleticism and cardio here by Quinn. He hits some flippy shit. And gets a, a near fall on Nick Jackson. It was a 450 splash, and it was gorgeous. Yeah, it was really cool. Private party chants start to gain ground in the crowd, but the Bucks cut that off by starting a super kick party on both. So party v party, y'all. <laughs> Our party's cooler. <laughs> Matt tries to give Cassidy a sunset bomb on the outside, which yeah. gets blocked. But Matt then picks him up off the apron and power bombs him onto the ramp. Ouch. Why? Yeah. Because wrestling. That's I why. guess. The Bucks give Quinn a powerbomb blockbuster combo, which Excalibur actually calls correctly this time. <laughs> we'll talk. We'll see later in the show. Before putting him in a sharpshooter, but Quinn was too close to the ropes for that to be effective. Yeah, they, he breaks that uh, hold pretty easily. The fans are chanting, this is awesome, as the Bucks are isolating Quinn in their corner. Cassidy is still, like, splattered out on the ramp, all fucked up. <laughs> Keep in mind, we are 13 minutes into this television program, and I'm already winded. It's been super high energy. I'm so excited about the tag team tournament right now. The Bucks slow down the pace here, though, really working on Quinn with double team moves. Repeated tags, cutting off Quinn whenever he tries to mount a comeback, giving him a monkey flip and Zagiri foot stomp combo. Yeah, I love this determination as he's like kicking out of all these pin attempts and like the Young Bucks are beating hard yeah, on him. Agreed. Uh, Quinn rolls across the ring for a tag, but Nick is uh, around the other side of the ring, pulls Cassidy off the apron. It gives the Bucks a chance at another near fall after Matt spears Quinn and keeps beating on him just relentlessly. Yeah, they're really taking control here. Matt now jaw jacks with Quinn, berating him while he beats him down. The Bucks are really playing up their egos in these first right? few episodes. Yeah, <laughs> They kind of have the heel thing going totally. on. Totally. Cassidy finally gets the tag and Quinn fights through a hurt back to give the Bucks a double Hurricane Rana. As the 10-minute warning hits the PA, Private Party try to give Matt the silly string. But Matt catches Cassidy in his rolling Northern Lights trio before also catching Quinn and giving them both a double Northern Lights for a bridging two counts. Yes, and then Matt gets a sharpshooter on Cassidy as Nick on the outside of the ring is trying to kick Quinn's head off. Cassidy's trying to fight towards the rope, but he gets caught with a face buster by Nick. Out of nowhere, by the way. Yeah, it was real sneaky. And then Matt wrenches back, but Cassidy still fights through and he gets to the ropes. Oh, such resilience. I was so excited for this. Private Party definitely looks less experienced, but not less ready for the spotlight. Right, exactly. That's what I was thinking too. Quinn hits a blind tag on Cassidy, who gives Matt a poison her and Karana. Then they hit the gin and juice hurricane Rana cutter combo on Nick who rolls out of the ring. 
Quinn then goes up for an incredible shooting star for 2.9. Yeah. It honestly was like picture perfect. Yeah, it was it was I thought it was the end of the match. Yeah, I actually thought this was the finish. I was convinced. Uh, Quinn doesn't relent when Matt kicks out, but Matt grabs his wrist and pops him up into a tombstone position for the Meltzer driver. As Nick goes up, Cassidy grabs him off the apron and Quinn rolls up Matt for the three. Woo! Three count private party. We got an unexpected underdog win, but that was like such an exciting high energy tag team match. Like what a way to start this episode. Agreed. Loved it. Totally. It was a fast paced. Like, really unrelenting match that showed off each of the team's distinct movesets and attitudes. Uh, much like last week with Sammy, the show opens by highlighting young unheard of. Yeah. Who light up the crowd and get them chanting for them just through their sheer athleticism. Yeah, and the crowd was super excited for this, too. There's a lot of great psychology in this match. Also, there's some subtle things. One, one I really liked that really stood out to me was the fact that earlier in the match, when they were trying to get a hot tag, the Bucks pulled Quinn off the apron to prevent it. And then at the end of the match, Cassidy pulls Nick Ooh. off the apron to prevent them from get to help them get the win. I love that. Right. So it's like this little That's subtlety cool. of being like, we are on your level. Yeah, we just yeah, don't yeah. have we're not there yet. Yeah. But right? you still got the underdog win. Like we used your strategy. Yes. To beat. You. We are as smart as you, even if we are not as experienced. I love that psychology. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. No. And then so we're all hyped. So we get a little promo spot to cool us down a little bit it's here. The champion. Le champion. Chris Jericho comes out with this gorgeous title and a posse of dudes. Uh, he's wearing a really sick blazer, though. So he's, he's the pimp of this posse for sure. Uh, Callie calls him Helico, which sounds like his lucha person. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of. Uh, I do really like this Chris Jericho, this like rocker heel Jericho. Mm -hmm. I think it's the gimmick he's like most comfortable with. Like, I know at this point he's just sort of Chris Jericho now yeah. and he comes out as whatever. But it seems most like him. Yes. And especially as we go on, like the Jericho Appreciation Society really screams like aging rocker. Yes. Who needs an entourage. A little bit washed up with yeah. his posse of dudes. Yeah, I love it. I love <laughs> Although it. I guess the Jericho Appreciation Society gets some women. But uh, but I'm saying like that's the intention of it, right? Yeah, I yeah, love yeah. I love that whole oeuvre. Yeah. Yeah, and Jericho comes out. He says that last week's Dynamite was the highest-rated premiere on T in TNT history, and it's all because of him. <laughs> and then you realize Skayfabe is a thing. <laughs> so I, I had to fact-check the goat. Um, it is a, so the, it was billed as the highest-rated premiere in over five years. That was the public statement okay. by TNT executives. Okay. So right. it looks like the 2012 reboot of Dallas appeared to be a very hugely watched premiere for TNT. Uh, that was 6.8 million viewers. I'd love to know the age demographic of that. Dynamite's 1.4. Um, so again, it's it it that's probably their highest um, debut. So the highest in in five years. Sure. Uh, so Chris is almost right. Um, but to compare, I did look up the Raw viewership numbers in 2019, and the season premiere of that se season of Raw was on September 30th, 2019, and that was 2.5 million viewers. So that's an established wrestling show that's been on the air for decades now. 
uh, and there's really no other option for high caliber professional wrestling in North in America. Your, yeah, yeah, in your living room in North America at this point, unless maybe we're talking about NXT. Well, at this point, it was in the living rooms. Yeah, I mean, and NXT. So I, I also looked up the the numbers for NXT, and on October second, twenty nineteen, they did eight hundred ninety one thousand viewers competing directly with AEW. Yep. yep. So their viewership numbers dipped a little bit. Uh, but I will end this sort of numbers game by saying that on December 11th, 2019, both AEW and NXT reported viewership as 778,000. So I thought that was just fun. Both teams win. Um, We're not here to shit on WWE or NXT or other promotions. We're here to dick ride AEW. So anyways, I'm done dorking out with the numbers, but the numbers do tell me that 1.1 million people are tuning in to thank Chris Jericho. You're right. Thank you for that. That was very interesting. The crowd chants, thank you, Jericho, to which he immediately says, shut your mouth and sit down. <laughs> but they're giving you the thank yous you so I know, and the crowd's just like, thank you. we will, we will, we will Sorry, Chris, yes, we will sit down. <laughs> he says the guys in the ring with him are his closest friends he's ever met. He says they're going to be aligned and they have a name. Mm. He lists all the members. Ooh. Sammy, he is a Spanish god. So sexy. A teenage heartthrob and one of the best performers his age he's seen in a long time. And he is on my list. What a, what a hilarious. I missed the list. Santana and Ortiz. You may have seen them around, but they're even dirtier and angrier than ever. Street, fighters with back, street fighter back alley brutes who never shower. That's why they make my list. Viva la raza! Jake Hager. You might think you know who he is, but his real name is Jake Hager, former world champion, toughest, most terrifying MMA fighter in the world today. The crowd erupts at this point into a respectful Mm. We the People chant. I say respectful because when Jericho responds by saying, We the People sucks and it's dead and buried, (laughs) the crowd erupts in applause. Yeah, the crowd was ready to just be like, well, fine. If that's what you have to say, Jericho. Give us something new. Yeah, yeah. Put a hat on him. (laughs) It was a stupid idea from bad creative and that's all gone now. And the crowd... Loves this. Loves it. Yeah. And Jack Hagar does not move an inch. No, he doesn't. He does, He's just thinking about hats. Yeah, he's like, where's that hat? Um, Jericho says that Jake Hagar is un- an undefeated MMA fighter, and that's a shoot. Yeah, it is, but let's, uh, let's ignore the photos of all the guys but, he fought. No, no, he says that makes Jake the toughest man in AEW and the entire pro wrestling business. And Jericho calls him and his boys the inner circle baby and we're in charge now and we're jerking i mean we're taking control of aew and we don't care if you're the bucks or omega or that stupid son of a bitch cody (laughs) cody is entitled from his family his entire life born with a silver spoon in his mouth says the guy whose dad was a pro nhl player yeah uh, and then Jericho says, I didn't like Dusty. I thought he was a jerk. <laughs> That's the biggest lie he's ever told. I don't like your brother. Dustin Rose is a moron. And I'm going to kick his ass tonight. Most importantly, when you challenge him at full gear, he is going to beat the ever living shit out of you. Oh, you didn't think Jericho was going to use that 14A license to swear <sighs> as often as possible? Because this is just a taster. Yes. I love it. I wonder how many swear words you get on a 14A show. Yeah, I didn't look that up. (laughs) Match number two, Jimmy Havoc versus Darby Allin. Yes, it is a men's singles match with a 20-minute time limit. 
Uh, 15-year-old Callie says, I love Jimmy Havoc, and I would have wanted to be him so badly. His hair, his jacket, he's got a cool mask. Uh, but Darby's also got this, like, skid goth skater boy look to him, and I want both of them to win, and I want to be both of them. <laughs> oh, we would not have been friends at 15. I know, I know. 2023 Ramen says, oh, look, it's whoever the fuck Jimmy Havoc is. <laughs> we get a cut-in promo from Havoc as he's making his way to the ring, who mumbles something about working for 15 years and enduring, quote, unhuman mm. amounts of violence aliens but he likes the pain and darby is going to feel his pain tonight <laughs> which left me wondering who's going to feel my pain after that promo oh my god watching him lick his goddamn teeth of this that's intimidating like fuck me this guy's in a number one contenders match for the world title that is an ominous promo star tell me how you really feel to be honest, I never, I do not remember at all that either of these men were in title contention or at, that Jimmy Havoc existed. I don't know why or how either of them got this this title. Yeah, shot. it is kind of. Uh, as Darby comes out, though, we his first appearance on Dynamite Television, we get highlights from his match with Cody on Dark last week. We get a replay of the match where Cody hits him with a crossroads, but Darby kicks out, and they show off his moves like the coffin drop and get over mm -hmm. his resilience and his grit. Mm -hmm. And after those highlights, gee, I wonder who's winning this match. <laughs> and JR uh, says that Havoc told him earlier in the night that he doesn't like having the reputation of being a hardcore guy who can only wrestle with weapons. Wrestling with weapons is a phrase I find a hilarious oxymoron, <laughs> but anyway... <laughs> 2019, Raman definitely felt like this was a mid-card match in a company that hadn't created a mid-card title yet. Well, here we are. It's a contender's match. Yes. And the match starts. We have some quick back and forth near falls from both wrestlers. I will say, okay, so despite my criticism, as I said earlier, this match starts with a lot of actual wrestling. Lots of Irish whips, drop kicks, and corner splashes. Uh -huh. And Havoc takes a hard kick into the turnbuckle, and Darby gets advantage and attempts an apron suplex on Havoc, who bites Darby's fingers in response. No DQ, rule of cool number one. Starts oh, now. God. Then Havoc <laughs> goes for the suplex from the apron, driving Darby's back to the floor outside. Darby landed right on his yeah, head. Yeah, ouch. Ouchies. Honestly, after, after, uh, anyway. Havoc did hit it as safely as he could, honestly. He protected Darby's head, mm -hmm. which is the important part. <laughs> More than Darby fucking protecting himself in 2023, I'll tell you. Yeah, true. Ugh. I actually like this showing from Havoc. Uh, like I said, uh, it's a lot better than his previous one at All Out. He he gets his character across here much better. His viciousness and mm. the actual joy he supposedly derives there from There is that. some storytelling here, I agree. Yeah. Darby's used to getting tossed around. He's used to getting beaten up. But is he used to having his... His fingers, his phalanges just worked upon. Phalanges, Tony. Uh, working on the phalanges is is pretty good science. Sure. Next thing you know, you'll be talking about his sprain metatarsus. Havoc doesn't seem to quite have the stamina for wrestling, though, as he gets five minutes of finger biting and arm pulling. See, now I agree and disagree with you here. Havoc did look a little gassed, but I think this is interesting psychology, and I believe the commentators brought this up too, that Darby is a bit of a masochist. He's expecting suplexes and ridiculous spots into the barricades. Is he expecting a finger bite? Huh? Yeah, the devastating finger bite. Well, I mean, it's just a, it's just a psychological manipulation. I'm not I'm not upset with it. Yeah. Um, but Darby is able to reverse Havoc and put him in the corner. But as he goes for a running splash, Havoc sits up on the turnbuckle and catches Darby in a sleeper hold. 
He then gives Darby a sleeper suplex, which Excalibur and I are both impressed by. Mm -hmm. As the live feed goes to obligation break, we get a funny (laughs) moment where Jimmy Havoc slaps Darby's hand into the ring bell. And when Darby reacts to it, he accidentally punches the camera. (laughs) Oh, yeah. To which Excalibur (laughs) says Havoc got a twofer. Oh, Jesus. Fuck. Havoc gives Darby a Japanese arm drag to the corner, to which I said, where the fuck was this shit at all out? Wrestling. Havoc then gives Darby a somewhat lazy falcon arrow right into a sleeper hold. Again, Havoc is clearly a capable wrestler, but he also doesn't seem to give anything full yeah, energy. Yeah, it's like without the adrenaline from having weapons, he's at half For real. speed. Uh, and then Darby carries Havoc on his back, climbing the turnbuckle and hitting Havoc with a backpack coffin drop. Yeah, but then Havoc responds by biting Darby again, to which JR says, He's a carnivore. If he had some JR barbecue sauce, he'd be set. <laughs> now, ladies and gentlemen, my new Hannibal Lecter series of flavors. Man, I'm so hungry right now. I just want to eat some humans. Sweet and tangy soil and green. If only I had some sweet and tangy soil and green yeah. flavored... The what if the JR sauce is people? We already have a flavor like that. How does it taste? It depends from wrestler to wrestler. Oh my Jesus. Yeah. It tastes different on everyone, you know? <laughs> this match is definitely more interesting than I expected it to be going in, for sure. Yeah. Um when he's not biting fingers, Havoc actually hits big spectacular moves intended to deal maximum damage. He combines them with some clear displays of technical mm-hmm. prowess and he just he just doesn't seem committed to any of it. Darby kicks out of a picture-perfect Tiger Driver 98 by Havoc, which is one of my favorite moves. Then he gets Havoc into a Crucifix pin for a two-count of his own. Mm-hmm, but Havoc goes for the Acid Rainmaker, but now Darby bites the hands of Havoc before oh, hitting him. Oh, what psychology. <laughs> with the suplex stunner. Havoc <laughs> wasn't expecting the finger biting. No, I know. You he only ex- trained for the suplex. You don't expect that level of pain in a wrestling match. So get out of, Get back into kayfabe. <laughs> Darby kicks the car. Bring back Dargy. <laughs> Darby hits the coffin drop from the top rope for the three count, and now he is the next contender for the AEW world title next week on Dynamite. Yes. So, thoughts on this Cracker Batch? Honestly, a much better showing from both men. I think they have, in this match, uh, they have both removed the Cracker moniker from me. Oh. Yeah, Havoc, honestly, Havoc really impressed me here. I... Maya Copa to Havoc fans who were maybe upset with my opinions of him. I didn't get to see him like this. He genuinely showed me his wrestling acumen and his, you know, psychology. He did have some, and I just wish he didn't wrestle like he knew he was booked to lose. That's fair. You know, that's all. If he had, totally fair. if he had, that's what it seems like. Yeah. If it felt like his, you know, that Falcon arrow in particular, it's just like, when you do a move like that lazily, it's really easy to see it because it's a hard move to mm-hmm. pull off. Mm-hmm. And, like, you'll never see Seth Rollins do anything but full extension on a move like that. Yeah, and if right? you know, you know. Yeah. You know? So, I just, I think, and maybe it was his, like, mental state and stuff, because we knew we know he had personal issues. So, sure. maybe it wasn't his wrestling, but he just didn't seem committed to the match. Personal but I was impressed by him. Anyways, we have the women's tag match next. Um, match love, three. Yes, we have B Priestley and Emmy Sakura versus Britt Baker, DMD, and Rio. The women's heavyweight champion. 
our be, champion. Yes. B Priestley and Emmy come out together. They have a really funny you loved Emmy's outfit oh, here. Oh, I have a I have a deep diving coming on Emmy okay. Sakura. So talk, just talk about her outfit here for yeah, a second. Yeah, I mean Emmy comes out looking legendary in her queen homage get up. It's a yellow military inspired jacket. She's got the microphone prop that she's waving yeah, around. Like, um, Freddie Mercury style. <laughs> yes, exactly. There's a funny moment actually between Emmy and B where B goes up to the uh, turnbuckle to you know do her her taunt or whatever sure. and then Emmy is actually on the apron underneath her holding the mic up to <laughs> yeah. her face but B doesn't realize it at first and so she turns down and sees the mic and she goes get that mic out of my face yeah <laughs> I thought it was funny I yeah. love I love the props it was great it was really funny um but Emmy Motokawa yeah I'm very excited to hear about the steep type of yours as a disclaimer I know fuck all about Joshi wrestling other than it is generally the most badass women's wrestling in the world. A thousand percent. And I, like Kenny Omega. Lord of the turnbuckles. God among ants. Blessed be his name. <laughs> I am a big fan of women's wrestling. I don't watch a lot of anime or speak Japanese, so forgive my whitest fuck attempts at some of the names here. But I learned my passion at the good old fashioned school of Gaijin Marks. So, Emmy, my cherry blossom, she debuted in 1995 when she was 18 years old. She trained with the then Babe Promotion International Wrestling Association, or IWA Japan. Uh, that was formed in 1994, so, and then ended, I believe, 2014. She started there in 1994. At first, she and Kyoko Ichiki were the only women's wrestlers in the promotion until IWA started working with other promotions, namely All Japan Women's Professional Wrestling, or AJW. So she, uh, Emmy, had matches through their promotion. She started wrestling under the name Emmy Sakura. Uh, she'd previously wrestled under her birth name in 2003 with the Gato Kunyan or GTKN promotion. She wrestled and trained there. And at this point in her career, she was dealing with ongoing injuries that had her in and out of competition off and on. So she was a trainer. She's also a wrestler. Uh, she did wrestle with GTKN until 2006. And then she started her own dojo called Ice Ribbon. In her first match in October 2006, she lost to then nine-year-old Riho, who was huh. being trained by her at the time. So that was her Ice Man. Ribbon debut. Who decides to train a nine-year-old? Yeah, but, uh, well, Emi Sakura. Uh, 2009, though, was Emi Sakura's year. She won six different championships wow. over the course of the year. Uh, first, she was the NWA Women's Pacific wow. slash Neo Singles Championship. Which actually I think was a botched win because she knocked out her opponent, uh, Nene Takahashi, with a sunset flip powerbomb. Oh yeah, you showed me this yeah, clip. I yeah, found, I found a clip of it uh, on the Stardom Joshi subreddit. It was not the full match. It's about one minute before the powerbomb KO. Uh, the powerbomb looks safe to me. I agree, yeah. Yeah, you agreed. Uh, there were some people in the thread, uh, the, the subreddit thread, that mentioned the, the headbutts and perhaps that the combination of the headbutt. And it does kind of look like she hits her head a little bit harder on the mat if, than planned. If anything, she just didn't tuck. Yeah. Head. I don't think so, it was Emmy's. You know what? I won't, yeah, I won't lead us down the, the head traumas sure. and wrestling lane today. No, that's my, that's my gimmick in this video. Yeah, period. but, but I'll, I'll post the, the, we'll post the link in the comment notes and you can check out the powerbomb that, uh, that Emmy Sakura, that won Emmy Sakura a, uh, some championships. Is Emmy Sakura a killer queen? Oof. 
Her and her, her and Will Ospreay should tag team. Oh, also in 2009, she won the Ice X60, which is the Ice Ribbon Championship. She was also Triple Crown Tag Team Trap Champions with Kaori Yoniyama. So that she had three titles at one point. That's fucking that's a lot of gold. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of gold. But she had three titles as a tag team champion. I fucking love that. In, also in 2009, she won Tokyo Sports Magazine Joshi Wrestler of the Year. Also three awards from Nikan Sports, Best Bout, Best Tag Team, and the MVP Award. She's the female Kenny Omega. Rightly fucking so. So she held several titles while she was with Ice Ribbon. Again, the Ice X60 Championship twice. She held the Tag Team Championship five times and every time was with a different partner so she was basically the tag team champion this is, no this is how you run a promotion you put yourself and everyone else over she has famously trained other joshi wrestlers like Ma- makoto mayako matsumoto sukushi haruka mm-hmm. again apologizing and what? hikaru shida you did you did all of those pretty well oh thank you See, I'm glad I allowed you into my prefecture. <laughs> uh, she did wrestle her final match with Ice Ribbon on January 7th, 2012. She left that company that she founded for personal reasons, but continue wrestling in Japanese in- indie promotions here and there until she says, I want it all and I want it now and hops across the ocean to AEW in 2019. Oh, you are really relishing this. Oh, she appeared in episode one of Wanna Watch AEW, Double or Nothing 2019. She did. Yeah. Uh, and Arguably her greatest appearance. Until now. Yes. We have uh, information that she trained Sheeta and Rio. And as I've mentioned, uh, I love Queen and Emi Sakura's energy has me marking the fuck out. She is truly oh, the God. mama of the locker room. Didn't mean to make you cry, but if I'm not entertaining you anymore, carry on, carry on, as if nothing really matters. Brit comes out. <laughs> then Rio, who's sporting the title. Oh my god, and I know I just talked a whole bunch, but can I say Rio looks so fucking good with a belt? I don't think I could stop you if I wanted to. <laughs> Oh, man. I I swear she's the only person who can make that title look large. Yeah. And you know what? Her um her satin gear that I've kind of had a problem with just looks so great with the belt. Like, I love it. Britt That's Baker fair. looks fucking sharp as hell, too. Uh, okay. You can talk about all the outfits, but it can, it can, it, talking about Britt, I think we need to come up with a way to, like, rank fake tan levels. Because I think Britt is definitely at the Kramer tanning with butter level of tan. I sw- I, it's, it looks bad. Anyway. Anyways, the match starts. Uh, Rio starts the match with Emi Sakura, reminding us of their incredible chemistry from All Out. Uh, we get very early Rio chants from the crowd. Uh, clearly, our champ is over. Which is and great. I love to see it. Yeah. I love to see it. Emi and B take control early, isolating Rio. I love Emmy's characterization in mm-hmm. the ring. She gives Rio a body slam where she just like throws her downwards. Yeah. Like her arms are angry for having yeah. to lift her. <laughs> <clears throat> 
Then she puts Rio in a Mexican surfboard into a Romero special. And when she releases the hold, she doesn't just like release Rio. She like throws Rio to the side. Yes. And Rio sells the toss in her like classic rag doll fashion. And meanwhile, on the outside, B goes after Brit, throwing her into the barricade. But Brit comes back with a Thez press takedown and Emmy Sakura leaves the ring to break this up. Meanwhile, Rio gets a nice crossbody splash on Emmy and B outside the ring. Yeah, it was great. Aubrey should be counting them to 10 at this point because they're all on the outside, but she just doesn't. And JR says she's using her discretion. Some referees have no common sense. Rule of cool number two. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, meanwhile, B and Emmy double suplex Brit on the outside with a huge assist from Aubrey's discretion and or common sense. Thanks, girl. Yeah. There's a cool spot during the obligation break where <laughs> B jumps up from the bottom rope to the top turnbuckle, then hits Britt with a double stomp on the back. It's something that you see mm-hmm. like Commander do mm-hmm. or something. Um, B is really impressive. 2019 Ramen remembers really enjoying her in this match. Yeah, it was good. B goes for a shoulder capture suplex. Swoon. <laughs> Britt tries to fight out of it, but B finally struggles through it and gets it with a bridge for a near fall. Yes, and then Emmy Sakura gets into the ring and Britt is on her knees. So Emmy and B get stereo kicks on her and then Emmy Sakura immediately goes to beat on Rio on the corner apron and tire her out a bit. So in addition to Britt being tired and isolated in the ring, her partner is also feeling a bit hurt. Rio's barely able to break up a pinfall, and B Priestley starts attacking Rio for it, even though she's not the legal wrestler in the tag match. But this allows Britt to recoup a bit. Yeah, and at one point, B and Baker are on the opposite corners, uh, getting up and looking at each other like they're going to charge up and at each other. But the crowd doesn't really follow along with them, so there isn't as much of a crescendo when they get to the hockey fight part. Yeah, Britt does land a nice DDT on B and goes for a pinfall, but Emmy Sakura is able to break it up. Emmy drags B to the corner for a tag while getting the crowd to clap for her, which... They sandbag. Yeah. It's really funny because she's just like dragging B to the corner and also like stomping her feet to get the clap going. And you know what? I love Emmy Sakura for doing that. It's like, you're right, but you're still an asshole level of heel move, like mixed with mom Mom energy. energy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like as mentioned in the deep drive, she is a very esteemed tag team wrestler and the stuff like this is indicative of her experience. That's a good point. I didn't, I didn't put that together at the time. Yeah. Emmy Sakura is now the legal wrestler and she hits Britt with a Vader bomb for a two count. Is that what that's called now, a Vader bomb? That is so cool. <laughs> that is. They were going to call it the Leon White bomb. White <laughs> That is so cool. In the ring, Britt reverses a Tiger Driver into a slightly awkward stunner. Mm-hmm. Then a swinging netbreaker for two. Britt still needs to work on her polish. Yeah. She hits Emmy with a neckbreaker, then rolls into the rings of Saturn. She then jams her hand into Emmy's mouth, and Emmy taps immediately. This move is called the lockjaw. Yeah, and she gets a submission win on Emmy Sakura. A fun and fast and entertaining women's tag match that had some impressive spots. I think there were definitely some areas that were a bit clumsy, um, or where the chemistry wasn't really there. I don't know that Britt and Emmy seemed to work that well together. Yeah, I... I... I liked it. I really enjoyed the energy of this match. I think it was a great way to put Britt Baker over and start to tell the story of an elite young contender in the women's division. Uh, And putting women over is what Emi Sakura seems to love to do. So I'm fucking here for it. That's a great point. Great match for me. I I love women's wrestling. Um, And and to your point, you know, despite there being no real stakes, I was sports entertained. Mm -hmm. After the match, B and 
Brit do beak at each other uh, and almost get it on before Aubrey separates them. That is a feud I'd be really interested in right? seeing. Right? Are we going to see that future I, dynamics? I don't remember, which probably means no. Okay. But I could be wrong. All right. <clears throat> maybe, I'll, maybe I'll check out Bea Priestley if she's on the next episode and see. She is in NXT right now. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting rabbit hole. <laughs> we get a really weird promo package where two sexually ambiguous lumberjacks and Canadian tuxedos hug. Yeah. Callie says she was so confused, thought it was a shoot commercial. Yeah, like men can and should hug each other, just not while wearing Canadian tuxedos. It's tacky. Especially one with like cut off sleeves. So tacky. We then cut to the crowd where the best friends are, coincidentally, getting interviewed. <laughs> Chuck says it's the best video he's ever seen. Disagree, Chuck. Uh-huh. do you. They respond to the question of how they're feeling going into their match with SCU next week by saying they should ask Orange Cassidy. Who is seated and says nothing? Great talk. Meh. Yeah, let's really build up that tag tournament, guys. They already did that in the first match. I mean, it's. An, I'm just saying it's no wonder it took me four years to Orange get Cassidy onto the Orange just, Cassidy train. He's just all right. Match four, Sean Spears versus John Moxley. <laughs> the lights suddenly turn off as we go into Sean Spears' intro. I do like this whole like flash dance seated spotlight <laughs> thing he's got going on. Big and, fan. Yeah, and he's with his manager, Tully Blanchard. It's true. And as we come back from commercial obligation, unexpectedly, Pac shows up for commentary. Okay, I am so glad. The pack showed up on this dynamite because I have a very small story to tell you as an addendum to the one I told you last week about how he was undervalued by WWE. Sure, share with the class. One of the things that drew him uh, away from WWE, Vince wanted to make him have a gimmick where he was like a childhood superhero. I will give you three guesses as to who that superhero is, and they will all be wrong. Flash Gordon. Nope. Um, Booster Gold. Nope. Um, I'm trying to think of like obscure ones or obscure. But he's ones. a tiny man. Think, remember, Vince thinks he's small. Oh, Ant Man. Nope. Shit. That was three. Mighty Mouse. Oh fuck me. And like, are you not kidding? Even, not even in a way that's like we want you in a costume. Because remember when he when he first debuted as Neville, he had the cape and everything, right? Yeah. So it's like, oh, I want you to be Mighty Mouse. I want you because Vince loved Mighty Mouse as a child. And but like, God forbid, he knows how to like describe that. Fuck me. Yeah. I just thought. Well, that's an interesting story. Thank you. Was, and it's a good, good little segue into uh, what you might be talking about yes. later here. Oh yeah, that's a good. Um, but well, first, I, I do want to say, Moxley's intro video here, in my opinion, is just trash. Uh, but this does not temper my excitement. John Moxley's debuting on AEW. Uh, I am reminded by the intro of the viral marketing thing he was doing. The intro is a is a bit of a spinoff of a video he was doing on Twitter, which was directed by Nick Mondo, who did, I think, the first episode of Dynamite also. Yeah, you did show me the sort of indie promotion video he had. Yeah, so I got it after. But like my on my first watch, I was like, what the sure, fuck? Sure, sure. Right. Um, in the video, he's like breaking out of prison. Yeah, and then Mox's hoodie says unscripted Mox violence. Um, so I think that's part of the the promo. But again, I was I thought I was missing a reference, and it seemed clunky. I didn't really like it. But the promo video was really cool, and John Moxley's a fucking badass. Well, okay, so. and so to answer your question about why it says that, it's a good segue to finally talk about the Dean Ambrose John Moxley leaving WWE. Yeah, because uh, being unscripted and scripted was a frustration Moxley had that was built had built up over about the six years that he was really on top in the company <clears throat> with WWE. 
With WWE, right. yes. Moxley, sir, I, I guess I'll call him Ambrose while he's in the company to sure. separate. Okay, that makes sense. Um, Dean Ambrose, you know, he was known internally as the workhorse of the company. He would wrestle the most matches of anyone in the company every year, year after year, and never really notice it. He almost never got injured. He never got yeah. sick. He was there, you know, when CM Punk left. He, you know, he he was kind of You're put in a spot. Old Faithful. Yeah, Old Faithful. But he also never really acknowledged internally what doing that over a six-year period will do to your body, mm. you know? And in the meantime... Outside of being a member of the Shield, which gave him immediate clout, right, and that was what like I was like, ah, I love Dean Ambrose, right, exactly, as a member of the Shield, and me too. And I remember always thinking like, this guy has an amazing, like, vicious, animalistic heel run in him mm-hmm. that never happened. Yeah, like when the Shield, he was my second favorite member of the Shield, and when he was my number one, when like, they I broke, yeah, and for a lot of people, he was. Um, but I'm just a sure. filthy Seth Rollins. Oh, he's mark, amazing. So, um, but yeah, I was kind of wondering what was going to happen with him, but that's kind of. I kind of stopped paying attention. So sure, but you're telling me he had some fucking terrible storylines. Oh, just here. horrific. Like I, I don't even remember who some of them were against. But he had like one where he came down to the ring with a hot dog cart and like mm. threw like mustard at someone mm. and stuff. And like, uh, he he had a hilariously bad storyline with AJ Styles and that Ellsworth guy. Uh, he maimed a doll Allegedly. of Seth with a hammer in the middle of the ring, mm. which was like weird mm-hmm. um he had one amazing wwe promo uh, against seth where he basically said everything i'm saying which is that like he was the workhorse and uh he's been the backbone of this industry for a long time and now everybody knows it yeah and that's when seth was kind of being pushed by the authority and stuff right? no it was that... well i think it was near the end of that okay i always felt like he had this sort of caged animal energy mm-hmm. but it just never came out and so when moxley left wwe he didn't say a lot. This so okay. All of this stuff comes is information we all gain afterwards. When once he's left the company sure. and he joins AEW, he does a podcast with Jericho on. He does an episode on Jericho's podcast, yeah. and he tells this story. So, you know, over the six years, he had these terrible storylines, and he would do things like constantly having to fight Vince's stupid ideas. So like there would be things that Vince would want him to say and he wouldn't want to say it. And so he'd have to go to the writer and be like, let's rewrite it this way, but hide these certain nouns. Because if you, if you give Vince a noun, it's likely he'll turn it into a prop. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When you were listening to that, I giggled at that. (laughs) Um, And so Vince loves nouns. Yeah. Vince loves nouns. Uh, And so you know, he'd find himself yelling at the writers being like, why do I work here? Like, I'm a I'm a professional yeah. wrestler who's not being trusted to do his own thing and know who his character is. Yeah, so he had very little, if any, Autonomy. creative control yeah. over the character he is supposed to play. Totally. Um, and then he gets a tricep tear. Yo. Uh, tears 50% of the tendon right from the bone. Ouch. He's out for nine months. At that point, he had done the most matches, as I said, annually of anyone in the company at the time. Just kept grinding himself until his body broke apart. Hmm. When he's in recovery, he says he checks out mentally from wrestling and, you know, just starts doing rehab. Yeah. Because he hadn't had a break. Wrestling doesn't bring him joy. Well, it did, right? But he hadn't had a break in forever. He was constantly fighting. He was just exhausted mentally and physically by having to fight. I think that would happen to anybody if you don't have a break. A hundred percent. Especially if you're also mentally fighting your bosses to do what you think is good. Sure. So def- during recovery, he realizes that 
he's not looking forward to returning to WWE. He misses wrestling, but he doesn't mm. miss the company. You know, his friends would be telling him stories about like indie matches and going here and there. And he would get the sense of like, Oh, I wish I could come with you. Like, yeah. You know, can, can I get Bomo. booked? Yeah. And so, you know, he didn't really want to go back. Meanwhile, he also got a staph infection during this recovery period that almost killed him. Jesus. Yeah, he was on antibiotics for months that made him sick and just, like, puking and diarrhea oh, and just, like, terrible. awful, right? Awful. And, like, I've been through that. It's horrific. Yeah. Yeah, staph infections, no fucking no, joke. No, no joke at all. And so, you know, during all this, he's like, I don't want to come back to the company, mm-hmm. but there's a heel turn coming. Maybe that'll be the thing. Sure. You know, maybe that will be what makes you it know fun what? Again. And you know what? For a lot of people, or a lot of wrestlers, I'll say, sometimes the heel thing comes naturally, and, and Moxley or Ambrose has that heel energy, right? 100%. So it makes sense, and he's a fucking worker, right? He's not going to just bitch out and refuse to wrestle he's gonna keep fulfilling his contract so heel turn i like the optimism that uh, moxley's showing us well hold on there so the heel turn what like i also was excited for the heel turn sure keep in mind because i he didn't come back as a heel immediately Mm-hmm. Right, but I, I, he knew it was coming. I probably, I knew like what else are they sure, going to do with the, him? Sure, the the Smarks knew it was coming. And I, I, and you know, he comes back. He's ripped. He's got less hair. He has this awesome furry jacket. <laughs> um, and he looked badass. Sure. So he comes back, and the night he turns heel is the exact same night that Roman Reigns comes out to the ring and in shoot announces he has always been struggling with leukemia and it is now recurred okay so he goes off tv right and i remember actually hearing about that in mainstream media because i don't think i was following wwe at that point Mm -hmm. but i remember hearing about that and i'm like oh fuck that's shitty and then the same night he turns heel on set yeah massive mistake like because the crowd is already like so sad Sure, and like then and the then other the shield, two guys of the shield are fucking around and fighting again, each other again. Now that they have finally wouldn't that been... bring a lot of heel heat on onto Ambrose though? Not the not the right kind, right? Mm. That's not heat. That's just like uh, that's just like you fucking asshole. We actually cringe. hate you. Yeah, it's cringe. It's not it's not kayfabe heat. It's and like he didn't want to do it, right? And it gets worse as we go into what the the heel gimmick is because I think Vince saw that caged animal thing of Vin, in Ambrose as mm. like wackiness, goofiness, whatever. He's different. He's strange. So he made him wacky with the hot dog card and the Ellsworth stuff. And like, I didn't hate that because wacky characters work when you're a face. Sure. You know, like the hurricane, mm-hmm. Mick Foley with Socko, mm-hmm. stuff like that. I love mm-hmm. that. Crazy right? shit, man. But as a heel, if you're not likable, then wacky shit just makes you a dumbass. And it makes yeah. you an asshole. Yeah. And so he would come out with like. And people hate you for the wrong reasons. Yeah. So he tells this story about how, you know, Vince wants him to say these stupid things that he won't. He doesn't go into detail of. But, you know, Vince wants him to say, you know, words that inc- like include the phrase pooper scooper and shit like that. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I wouldn't come out here without a pooper scooper. What? Yeah. And so. So. So you're right. Yeah. And so Ambrose tells the story where he's like, listen, you know, I'm writing, working with the writer to be like, we got to we got to like take this line out and not let Vince see it, because if he does, he'll want me to hold one because it's a noun. It'll be a prompt. And so he spends all day doing that and does the promo. And then by the end of the day, he's also got to do another promo where he shits on Reigns' cancer. And he doesn't say what Vince told him to say because he doesn't want to like. He doesn't say that on the podcast. Did he do with a promo, though? 
No. So he didn't Vince say, wanted him yeah, to do Vince it. Vince wanted him to didn't do it. Didn't do it. Because so, I'm assuming in shoot, but Roman did, Reigns is his fucking friend. Well, no, yeah, right. And it's also apparently it was so bad that like he would have had to get like like it would have risked him getting fired. Apparently, some shit like that. Like oh. he hasn't said he still hasn't said what it was, but it was like awful. Honestly, I admire that integrity. I do too. But in fighting all of that, he doesn't have the energy to fight another promo where Vince wants him in like the backstage doctor's room getting like vaccinations against all the like smelly, dirty people in the arena and shit. Right. Like just this corny eighties heel. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's like really basic heel work. It's like, like it's oh, not, you hate it's the not, fans who paid also, to see you. But it's also like not the kind of heel he would be. Right. It's just like, this is like a wacky no. douchebag. This is not some you wild know, animal. Yeah. Like, it's so weird, right? That's what you do with fucking John. Moxley? Yeah, so he's constantly Jesus. fighting about it. Won't Vince wants him to do that thing with Reigns, and so he's just counting down the days at this point, right? Sure. And there's there's more to this story. There's a lot more to this story. Um, listen to all the interviews that he does at the time, like between that and the Starcade one, it's fascinating story. There's a line in here that I'll I'll put the clip of because it always just shocks me. I knew I was leaving, but I was, like, pissed about it. I wasn't, like, excited to leave yet. I was, like, bitter about it. Because I'm like, I can't believe they're going to make me leave. They're going to make me walk away from all this money. I can't believe that. Can we not just write one good storyline? Can we not write one good promo? Does everything have to be fucking stupid? Does everything have to make me look like an idiot? Like, for fuck's sake, you're going to make me walk away from all this fucking money. Because it's not like I didn't want that money, you know? I was like... Yeah, I want it, but I'm not doing that shit again. I'm like, so I was like pissed. I'm like, I can't believe they're going to, they're, they're so fucking incompetent that they're going to make me walk away from all this money. Jesus Christ, like, now I got to go back to the indies. Fuck it. Let's go. The, the last part I'll talk about uh, on this is that he had a really weird exit from WWE, mm. I will say. When he announced that he was leaving, the WWE actually put out like a press release. They put out like a statement. Being like, you know, this is mutual and we'll always love John Moxley for the work he's done for us and blah, blah, blah. Probably because they wanted to re-sign him and Moxley was like, fuck that. I mean, I don't know. I've never seen them do this. Like at that point, they they do it a little more now because wrestling is sure. even less kayfabe than it was before. But like. They probably knew they probably knew that he was unhappy and wanted to. Well, he, at this point, his contract was up. Like sure. He, but he wasn't he wasn't going to the table and saying. What's what about a new contract, right? No, so, they apparently gave him a, like a much better contract, and he said no. Yeah, so it's like at that point you gotta you gotta spin the narrative a bit to make it look like it was mutual. I guess uh, that makes sense to me from a PR perspective. But sure. Anyways, tell me about his weird exit. From- yeah, so they put out the statement. Then um, his final night, they do uh, what's called a curtain call. I don't remember, know if you remember that story with Triple H and Shawn Michaels okay. and Diesel. When they were all yeah, so when when Diesel and Razor were leaving mm-hmm. at the at Mad- in Madison Square Garden at the end of the show, Triple H came out and like said goodbye to them in front of the crowd, oh. which at that time broke kayfabe. Sure, he got quote unquote punished for that. Really, for a few years, yeah. Like that's he, when they went to he WCW. Hardcore, yes, when they mm-hmm. sorry, yes, when Diesel and Razor went to yeah, WCW. okay, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this I was like a curtain call 2.0, where at the end of the Raw, Ambrose and Reigns and Rollins were in the middle of the ring and all said goodbye to the crowd together. Okay, okay. Um, so breaking kayfabe. Sure. Unlike anything WWE had ever done at the time. Um, and yeah, I think your reasons make the most sense that like they, they, you know, the shield is a big moneymaker for them in perpetuity. They want to hold on to his good graces. I also think there was an element of, well, maybe he'll go to this company. It'll suck and he'll want to come back. Mm-hmm. 
Right, so let's be well, nice Well, because he, when did he leave WWE? It wouldn't have been when AEW existed because he signed with AEW right off the jump and he was doing indie shit for a while, wasn't he? Not that long. It would have Not been like twenty eighteen, may, maybe six months. Twenty, Yeah, okay. So maybe like early 2019. Yeah. Um, like I, I remember like from what I recall, him him doing that Twitter video and him coming to AEW was a very short stint. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So maybe he did have his kind of... Um, what would you say? Ears to the ground on what might have been happening sure. in professional wrestling. Yeah, and he had a lot of friends in the indies and stuff. And yeah. so, yeah, so all of this is a long-winded story, and there is a lot more to this that I really recommend everybody um, look up. And uh, maybe I'll put the links to those interviews. Yeah. And also, uh, I something I want to do is read Moxley's autobiography, because apparently it's very interesting and not a, not a long read. So, um, But all of this to say that, you know, coming into AEW... Moxley is looking for some freedom, right? He's looking to be himself as a character. He's gone back to the indie character, John Moxley, that he always felt more attuned with. Um, and well, let's see how he yeah. turns out. In yeah. And it's very clear that like when wrestlers get to create their characters in through the lens of themselves, it makes for more passionate wrestlers. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that was fucking interesting. I'm so glad you finally got to tell that story because yes. you've been teasing me with that. And it's for... so it's so fascinating. It, it is really interesting. I do love that kind of um, sort of meta drama. Yeah. I don't know if it's meta, but it's it's drama, um, you know, That's from, the... The, from the sidelines. <laughs> totally. Um, but yeah, so back to the match. Yes, uh, there so, is a, there is a wrestling match yes. going on. As Moxley uh, comes out to the ramp, he is basically I fucking Spears the whole way down, <laughs> mm -hmm. and the crowd goes insane for his intensity. Yes. Like they go as soon as Mox hits the ring, they go at each other immediately. Tully tries to intervene, and Mox headbutts him. Yeah, leave Tully alone, John. Leave Tully alone. Leave Tully alone. Callie and I had to pause early on to rewatch the beginning of this match because. It was at this point that I realized how distracting Pac was on commentary. Mm -hmm. As much as I love him, this is absolutely the wrong place for him. This is John Moxley's first match in a new promotion yes. after his highly publicized I release. I, what the fuck is Pac doing here? I agree, but what I think is going on here is that there is limited TV time to tell a story. You gotta fit it in somewhere, and... In the background, that's not really explained to the audience initially. Pac took Moxley's spot at the all-out pay-per-view against Kenny Omega. But they mentioned that at the pay-per-view. No, but they mentioned it at the pay-per-view. But they when when Pac oh, comes sure, out sure. to watch Moxley's match, you're kind of like, why is he here? This doesn't make sense. Right. But Pac took Moxley's spot at the all-out pay-per-view against Kenny Omega, put God into a submission hold, and what he's saying is he thinks he saved Moxley's ass by taking his spot. I noted at some point that Pac explains that he thinks that with his 2-0 record that he should get a title match before Havoc or Darby Allen. And when he was saying that, I was like, hmm, he has a point. Yeah, so I said that too, I think. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, why are these two guys in the title contention? Yeah. Um, and I'm just going to put all of my little talking points on his commentary right out right now because I was taking notes on this while you were calling the match. Thank you, by the way. Yeah, because we, we, that's why we paused to kind of like sort that out. But about halfway through the match, Pat grills Tony Schiavone about the win-loss record and why does it matter if it doesn't mean anything. Pack says that in the last two years, he was only defeated once. Uh, so I'm going to have a pack fact check. Pack facts. Pack facts. In 2018, he did go 4-0 in his singles matches. 
And it looks like all of his six losses in single matches in 2019 came when he was signed with AEW. So, Pac spits facts and want to watch AEW kayfabe. Callie wants him to be number one contender right now. Uh, he's fucking strong, man. In 2019, his record was 36-2. and two. I don't math, but that seems like a good win percentage overall. Uh, for the TV audience, honestly, though, I thought this was way too much going on for a segment where I just wanted to bask in Moxley's debut. Hard agree. Mox headbutt Spears, who responds by chopping him hard all around the ring. With each hit, Mox just, like, oozes this. Is that all you got? Yeah, it's kind of maniacal. I fucking love yeah, it. Yeah, it's great. Um, to that point, he very quickly gets a corner tent punch spot mm-hmm. on Spears. Mm-hmm. 2019, Raman thought that Mox was genuinely terrifying here. Mm-hmm. To be honest, he was fucking huge. Uh, he was fighting so angrily, his hits are fueled by what I can only categorize as savage force. Yes, and the cl- crowd clearly agrees with you. They are hyped for Moxley very early on in this match. As Mox decimates Spears on the outside, Tully tries to help by grabbing him. Eh? DQ. Rule of cool number three is the classic carny distraction technique, but it's a fruitless effort because Moxley's fucking relentless and Spears is fully fucked into the barricades. Mm. <laughs> Fuck the tope count. It was at this point I decided we need a counter for every time an AEW ref refuses to call an obvious disqualification. And as I tell Callie this, she just yells, Rule of cool! At me. And that is the birth of the wanna watch AEW rule of cool count. As Mox brawls Spears into the ring, Spears guillotines him on the top rope. Tully then pushes Mox into the ring steps and finally giving Spears a moment of advantage. This match is not about any sort of technical proficiency, obviously. No. Uh, Mox and Spears are simply beating the piss out of each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tully does kind of give the energy of a grandpa yelling from the stands at their grandkids' Little League game. Yeah, he's like yelling at Spears, telling him to cover, like really giving me the enthusiasm Which is I like, need. why doesn't Spears know that? I know, but it's just kind of cute. <laughs> um, after knocking him into the ring post, Spears hoists Mox up and gives him a Death Valley driver onto the barricade. I don't know how Mox's head didn't get fucked into the ground. (laughs) Yeah, right? We come back from obligation with Spears wrenching the leg of Mox into a single leg Boston Crab. Yeah, and during the commercial obligation, Spears did get some near falls and plenty of chest chops uh, around the ring, but Moxley is able to roll out of that single leg Boston Crab and kick Spears away. The fans cheer Mox as he breaks loose, and Spears kicks him on the outside and hits a tope suicida. Mox responds by rolling in the ring and hitting one of his own immediately, showing Spears <laughs> that Mox has more in the tank than he does. Yeah, Mox then drills Spears right into the corner and gives him what Excalibur calls a violence party, uh, which is a gimmick that I would have liked to have seen, like violence at the ringside. Yeah, but I don't want to see the bouncer at that party. Violence party, <laughs> private party, super kick party. Like, this is a fucking party. I feel like that last one's already a violence party, but... True. Uh, Moxley hits they a... could ru- be a trio's. <laughs> Violence trio. I'm pretty sure that's death. Tri- I'm pretty sure that death triangle. Moxley hits a running knee to the temple of Spears for a 2.5, mm-hmm. just as we hit the halfway point of the 20 minute time limit. We go into another mid ring slugfest, trading chops, then strikes, then slaps before Moxley settles it with a hellacious lariat, as JR would say. Spears avoids the paradigm shift, which became the death rider eventually, mm-hmm. and hits a death valley driver into a neck breaker. He goes for a TKO, but Mox counters into the paradigm shift for three. 
Mox wins his debut match in AEW and is immediately cut to Pac leaving commentary. Yeah, and right near the end of the match, he Pac was lamenting about how he's sitting on commentary instead of inside the squared circle. So are we lamenting it. Yeah, so him being like, my obligation is done, peace, like really tracks for Pac right now. I agree. Like, I really wanted to enjoy this match more than I did. There were some fun heated spots mm-hmm. and Mox looked like really ready to fight the whole world. Like he, the people in the ring were great. Yes. Unfortunately, the involvement of Pax and Tully to a certain lesser degree distracted me from what should have been my singular focus, which was the debut of a major star and a huge acquisition. Yes. It's so weird. Like people said this about the Jay White. Uh, debut. I felt like they did a good job with Jay because now he's he was by himself at his debut, and I remember you marked the fuck out. Well, of course, because I love Jay White. I know, but people thought like he wasn't put in an immediate title run or whatever. And not that Moxley should have here, but he. I would argue Jay White had a better debut than Moxley. You got to make him look strong. Yeah. I would argue Jay White had a better debut. No, and yeah, fully agree. Pack on commentary was like a bad way to tell his story, but never mind that shit. Here comes Kenny Omega. As Mox goes up the ramp, God returns. Uh, Kenny comes out with barbed wire broom and a barbed wire bat. He tosses the bat to Mox, ready to fight right on the ramp. The crowd chants, holy shit. Yes, holy shit, holy shit. But right before they can throw down, Pac sneak attacks God with a chair. So him being on commentary is a convenient way to explain why he'd be here. Yeah, because he couldn't just run out from it's the still, back. Yeah, it's still bad pacing, but... Uh... Moss relishes the opportunity and he's considering wrecking Kenny with the bat, but he decides against it as we fade to obligation. All right, match five, Dustin Rhodes and Hangman Adam Page versus Jericho and Sammy, Lace Sex Gods. Yeah. Dustin Rhodes comes out first to, to a song that is not Green Day. Yeah, it's very vaguely brain stewy. Yeah, I was like, did WCW make this theme song? What's happening? <laughs> Callie finds a way to defend Mikey Ruckus for this, but I don't see it. This this is a Mikey Ruckus original called The Natural. The original, yeah. It gives me gold dust. Oh, yeah. Mixed with Dustin Rhodes' later WCW entrance themes that he used. Uh, a little bit more like Rocky, sure. uh, like he used in 2000, 2001. I think it's cool. I'm into it. Thanks, Mikey. I think it's uh, from the Vanilla Ice School of differentiating music. Uh, Hangman. That's just like your opinion, man. That's just like your opinion, bro. Yeah, bro. Yeah, bro. Hangman comes out in chaps that he's definitely never worn while riding a horse. <laughs> At least he's not on top of a much smaller horse this time. Yes. And let us just take a moment to acknowledge. Let us just take a moment to acknowledge that Hangman Adam Page has a juicy, juicy ass. I'm acknowledging. A moment of silence for objectify. <laughs> yeah, for the death of the of the heteronormativity here. Yes. You you want some female gaze? Because I'm... Because I'm sitting across I'm from one. I'm female and gay. Yeah, I was going to say, because I'm sitting across from one. Anyways, this is the main event. Let's fucking get through it, man. Tony mentions that something about Hangman reminds him of Barry Windham, who mm. wrestled in NWA and WCW. Windham, as far as I recall, was a really rough and tumble wrestler, and he also tagged with Dustin Rhodes. Interesting. This is why I really like having Shivani here, because I never watched WCW, really, so... You know, it's nice to learn about that side of wrestling history from someone on commentary who was there firsthand. Yeah. Uh, I'm a voracious learner nerd like that. Yeah, so I, I really know. I love that. that sort of little the little background tidbits yeah. like that, too. <clears throat> Sammy comes out wagging his tongue the whole time down the ramp. <laughs> no panda hat this time. Mm, thank God. Uh, I can only think about how dry his tongue must be feeling doing <laughs> that. 
for so long. And you reminded me, no, you said it reminded you of yourself, which disturbed me in a way that I did not communicate. Ah, I'm just one of those weirdos that sticks their tongue out in selfies and shit, so it's fuck true. off. Uh, mm. eh. Jericho comes out in his painmaker garb. Mm -hmm. And the crowd still hasn't started singing his song yet, but don't worry, we'll keep track of that every episode. And I know, you know, when I that know you guys care so much. It, we do. We start with Dustin and Sammy, but Dustin wants a piece of Jericho for the beatdown they gave him last week, so Sammy tags in Chris. Yes, and Jericho quickly tags Sammy back <laughs> in. Dustin does not give a single fuck. No. He goes right after Chris, beating the piss out of him on the outside. Like, and he runs past Sammy. Yeah, yeah, and the ref tries to get him back into the ring, and then someone on commentary says he's jerseying Jericho, which is just not possible because Jericho's shirtless but anyways sammy tries to jump into jericho's aid but he gets slapped in the face for his trouble <laughs> dustin throws sammy back in the ring and gives him a picture perfect power slam mm -hmm. he tags hangers and they give him tandem running lariats in the corner hangman gives sammy a follow away slam which excalibur again calls a blockbuster suplex you know that's not right you said it earlier in the evening yeah what is happening? What is happening here? We live in a society. We live in a society. The birds have forgotten the rules. Sammy is the one being isolated in this match, though. Dustin and Hangman are both pissed off after last week, and Sammy is getting the brunt of their vengeance. Totally. Uh, Shivani reminds us that Dustin was called the natural in WCW, not just AEW, because from day one, he had natural ability for wrestling. Don't doubt it. Thanks, Shivani. Hangman is tag-backed in, and he deadlifts Sammy and just tosses him across the ring and tries another pinfall attempt. Yes, what an amazing blockbuster that was. <laughs> Hangman gets a beautiful standing shooting star press on Sammy, and this time Jericho is able to break up the pinfall attempt. Uh, Hangman goes up top, but Jericho distracts him long enough for Sammy to give Hangman a ri rising knee strike, and then he lifts Hangman on his shoulders and dumps him torso first into the turnbuckle. That looked rough. Yeah, it did. We come back from an obligation with the sex gods in control of Hangman. Callie's most hated spot. <sighs> Hangman gets a chance to tag Dustin, but slow crawls, giving Sammy a chance to not only get tagged in, but run across the ring and knock Dustin off the apron. Just go faster. We know you can do I it. I know. Sammy takes a very high angle back suplex, mm. but smartly he rolls to tag Jericho, who keeps Hangman from gaining momentum. Yes. I actually really like that they're showing Sammy and Jericho will work so well together. They have a game plan, and they're sticking to it, and Sammy doesn't seem like he's following Chris's lead, necessarily. No, they have, like, a they definitely have chemistry. Yes. Hangman keeps fighting through, though, getting the knees up when Jericho goes for Lion Salt. Still amazing to do that at his age. Right. Guevara tries to stop Hangman again but takes a vicious discus lariat, one of my favorite moves. Yeah, and at that point you said, that's some Barry Windham's shit. Yeah, Barry Windham Stan Hansen shit. Yeah, yeah, but that's what you said out loud and during the, the match. Yeah. Uh, Dustin finally gets the hot tag, uh, which you, you said... <laughs> Which I, yeah, I said I would have likened to a campfire that's gotten out of control. It was a hot fucking tag for me. Uh, Dustin hits Sammy with a solid lariat and then gives him what you've told me is a classic Dustin Rhodes combo. The drop down slap, Manhattan drop, and then the knee lift to the face. Correct. Jericho tries to stop his momentum, but Dustin comes off the top rope for a double cross body slam, which gets a huge applause from the crowd. As Dustin throws Sammy out of the ring, we got some really sloppy camera work here. <laughs> so, okay, so what happens is that Hangman is climbing the top turnbuckle on the hard camera to give Sammy a moonsault on the outside. But what we see is the cameraman 
loses Hangman as he goes up for the turnbuckle and is desperately searching for him, mm-hmm. who, although he's already clearly run past him. So by the time the cameraman switches to an angle that has Hangman, Hangman's already on the ground. So we miss the moonsault almost completely. Yeah, yeah, it was a little bit confusing. Yeah, um, and like, honestly, I'd be furious with whoever was in the truck at the, in that moment. I mean, moment. shit happens the second episode. Sure, but you know. Furious. Yeah, that's a huge production mistake. Like, it's one thing to like... To, like, not be in the right camera for a second, but you missed a spot, like yeah, a heavy spot. that's fair, that's fair. Right? Before we can celebrate, though, Hangman gets trucked by Hager. <laughs> what? Gets fucking trucked. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Coming from the streets. Wrong. <laughs> gets fucking trucked. Yes, and in the ring, Dustin sets up Jericho in the corner for the Shattered Dreams corner kick to the balls. Yikes. I've yeah. heard that hurts. Uh, Sammy goes for the save, but gets power slammed instead. Dustin hits Jericho with the destroyer for a really, really close near fall. And then Jake Hager comes into the ring and trucks Dustin again while the ref is distracted. And then Jericho hits his finisher, the Judas effect for the three count. And we have a dirty heel win on your main event. Yeah. What did you think of the match? I was excited. I mean, you know, I thought it was a pretty fast paced match. I was into it. I agree. I really good main event. I really, uh, I was really surprised by how well Jericho. I like. I was surprised the story was wasn't so much about Sammy and Jericho learning to work together, but being surprisingly good. It was like they were. It seemed like in a good way they were already kind of like had the think, chemistry of an established. But team. that's not what the story's trying to tell. It's trying to tell the inner circle. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's it like is like they're already a team, that, right? They're introduced. That's they don't exactly. Need, they don't need the and the. The sort of montage of like, yeah, sure, agreed, and and the match shows that off that like he yeah. picked these guys because he knew one hundred and ten percent, yeah. Then after the match, the inner circle come down and beat up Hangman and Dustin before the lights turn off. The lights come back on and it's Cody Whoa. crossroads to Sammy. Cody undoes the cuffs of his collared shirt, which means he means business. Fuck yeah. But the inner circle fill the squared circle. And then we have Maxwell Jacob Friedman coming in with a chair to save his BFF Cody. The inner circle tries to talk Max into turning against Cody and he doesn't. He hits the inner circle instead. He's been a face all along. Max takes a moment uh, here to bask in the chance of the fans, which, you know, little did we realize this was actually foreshadowing. Right? Uh, this is like a long, long game. Slow. Before Jericho burn. sneaks in with a code breaker. Yeah. Callie chants Jericho as Cody gets beat down. Jericho, I think, is better than Helico. I mean, Thoughts? they're both yours, so you. Jericho. Jericho. No, I think Helico. Helico. I think Helico is better. I know. Has Jericho ever done a lucha no. gimmick? But he should. He should come out with a Helico. Uh, then the Bucks come down, finally evening the odds. As both groups brawl, Jericho starts throwing chairs into the ring before walking up the ramp with his title. <laughs> but then suddenly Darby, skater boy, skateboards down the ramp, hitting Jericho with a flying clothesline. Jericho grabs a mic, saying they don't know who they're messing with. And next week's match will be Darby's funeral, bitch. That's that 14A coming at you. <laughs> yeah. I was like, careful, Chris. You don't want Stephanie to sue you for copyright infringement. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, the show goes off the air with the faces standing in the ring and the crowd chanting AEW as the heels go up the ramp. 
a nice inverse for last week's uh, yeah. heel finale. We get, the, we get the inner circle. We get Team AEW versus the inner circle. That's kind of the story that I'm seeing here. And so. we have a world title match set up for next week with Jericho and Darby. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? With the time that they had, I think it was we have a lot of good storytelling going on here. Like there's meat. Yeah, I agree. There's there's a lot of meat on these bones. We got a lot of, you know, characterization through uh, Private Party um, and also Sammy and Jericho together. Mm-hmm. I think that the inner circle is going to be something that you're going to be really entertained by. And it might it might also even make you look at Jericho now and be like, I kind of miss the inner circle because they're really funny. They have some really yeah. great storylines. No, I'm really excited to see it because I do love Chris Jericho. Uh, you know, I think he's the the goat of wrestling. Yeah. Uh, so, but I, I also I'm like... really excited to see this storyline because watching him <clears> in 2023, and you know, we might date it a little bit, but he's kind of about to do his little babyface turn. Um, but I want to see his heel reign. Our champignon. Our champignon. The I also... mushroom of AEW. Oh, I also like that. Um, you know, this is the thing I was telling you about it, like how BTE adds little things to yes. to the storylines. Yes. I really like. The idea that like this thing between Kenny and Moxley is really consuming him and it's taking him to a place that he's never really been. Like at this point in his career, he had never done a street fight. Yeah. Right. So, really? yeah, I, I know. What? Yeah. He'd never really been even as the cleaner. He was a technical wrestler. This okay. is Kenny Omega. That right? makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, he's done ladder matches and things of that sure. nature, but he's never really done like a full hardcore oh, match. So him coming out with the broom and the, you know, all that. And then plus, oh, the, plus the bit on BTE where he's like, I'm yeah. sorry that this is taking over my mind and costing us matches. It's nice little things that that this add is, to yeah, it. Yeah, Like this is some dynamic storytelling. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And we will go into our conclusion. Yeah. it up really quickly uh there were three rule of cools counted um i really like the ending of the show it got me really excited about the inner circle versus the elite faces you know there's of course some growing pains that you saw yeah with the camera and things like that um and also jimmy havoc's sort of uncommitted relationship with wrestling apparently sure i would say the first half of the show i felt like was much more like last week where they were telling character stories through wrestling. The women's match was really fun. Didn't have a lot of stakes though, and I would have probably forgot about it the week after. It, it was a bit of a storyline match. I actually was most excited about the women's match, but I think maybe because I did my my research on Emmy Sakura, that I, I think was so like, too. Uh, you know, it was a really just a very entertaining match, and that's what I. That's why I love wrestling, right? I want to be entertained. Well, and also these are the first times for you. Yes. Right? Like I've seen some of these yes. already and remember them as we're going. But for you, it's fresh perspective. Yes. Um, so speaking of which, Callie, do you have a match of the night? I just said it, man. The women's tag match. Fair. That's fair. Uh, I would pick. I wish I could have said Moxley, honestly, but the Pac thing really got in the way. So I think I will give it to Bucks and Private Party. You men's uh, tag match. Yeah. And I and I also tag match. Tag match. I also think that uh, Private Party are my, what we are going to call our Dynamite Diamonds of the Week. Ooh, fuck yeah. 
private party. Yeah, I think that private party really, really impressed me tonight. Uh, they showed that they could hang with the best tag team in the world, mm-hmm. despite being way less experience than them and there's only upward direction for them to go i love it yeah yeah i'm a big big fan of private party and i'm really excited to uh really follow their storyline as they they go through aw because i believe is it quinn who's injured in 2020 i believe so yeah yeah because cassidy's so i haven't seen them i haven't seen them wrestle as a tag team so but what i saw today again the beginning and end of these this whole episode was like Really good. Really dynamite. Yes. Uh, do you have a dynamite diamond that you would Fucking like to private nominate? private party. Hell okay. yeah. All right. Oh yeah, no, I'm with you on that. Cool. All right, so then next week we will be covering the third episode of Dynamite. And uh, until then, we hope that you have enjoyed our podcast. If you want to get in contact with us, you can reach us at wannawatchaew at gmail.com. That's W-A-N-N-A. You can find us at Wanna Watch AEW on X slash Twitter. If you are so inclined to give us a buck or five, you can find our Patreon, Wanna Watch AEW. And of course, your listenership is always enough for us. And if you can give us a uh, rating or review on your podcast catcher of choice, that would be the best way that you could support us. Yes, we appreciate it if you've made it this far. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for listening. And as always, we will catch you guys next week. This is going to be a character I do now from now on. (laughs) Little Doggy Allen. Yeah, I'm going to find him and call him Doggy Allen. (laughs) Oh, my God. Hello, I'm Doggy Allen. I'm going to be doing the commentary for this match. <laughs> Get the fuck. You can't do that a whole match. No. I won't keep it together. Well, we say, hey, do you want to watch <laughs> AEW? Not with you, Darcy. Oh, no. Uh-huh. No one wants oh, to shit. watch AEW with Doggy. Not with you, bad. Doggy Allen is no friend. <laughs> Doggy Allen's going to go skateboard into a cliff. <laughs> <laughs>